Okay, would you mind introducing yourself for the audience, please? Right. So, um, hi, my name is Tushar, Tushar Sable. I'm an Indian-born uh, British artist. I'm based in London and I paint in oils, mainly in oils. Um, and uh, I tend to paint en plein air, which means outdoors. It's, it's a French word for being outdoors. Um, and yeah, I've, I've lived in this country for more than 15 years now. And London is my home, UK is my home. And um, yeah, basically I'm, I'm a full-time artist. Um, I have graduated from being a part-time artist, weekend painter to now being a full-time painter. So um, yeah, that's, that's me. Excellent, excellent. I'm a big admirer of your work, Tisha. Oh, likewise, it, Richard, likewise. Oh, thank you very much. Um, for me, you, you have this sort of energy, um, work ethic as well um and it, it's just the the range of of things that you paint the things that you seem to be inspired by i can see just behind you there there's a there's a picture of your daughter a painting yeah. of your daughter yeah and, and that's what i was going to ask as well um being a full-time artist a dad um I find it fascinating that your your family become you know part of your part of your sort of um, your painting world. Um, um, are they a big inspiration to you, your family? Uh, yes, because I think for me, my family means a lot. And yeah. as an artist, I think you know you you tend to work in isolation many mm. times and that can be kind of detrimental to your relationships. Um, so I think if, if, you, if you want to have a relationship outside your studio, um, you know, I think it's important that you involve the people that matter to you. Uh, for me, like I said, my family matters to me a lot, my friends, you know, my art colleagues, and probably it comes across like that as well. So <laughs> I think painting them is the best way to kind of spend time with them. Mm. And um, I tend to do like these, um, you know, like the birthday portraits, you know, because I want to paint. It's their birthday. I want to be part of it as well. So, you know, it's like, how can we spend time together more and more while I don't feel that I'm not doing my job, my work? Mm. So I, I tend to paint objects and people that are just surrounded, surrounding me, basically. Mm, and mm. I like that because I think that uh, the other day I was um, at Hampstead Heath and I met um, one of our other artists and we, we were just chatting. And I said, you know, you don't even have to come to Hampstead Heath, like, you know, 20 miles from your home to get inspired to paint. You have so much around you and, you know, you can just pick something and paint and that's yeah. that's what is required so yes. there is so much subject around you fam and you know coming back to your question I think family is your subject you know mm -hmm. um I mean I have I have like transitioned from being a portrait painter to a landscape painter so doing landscapes has come naturally to me but being a portrait artist was kind of looking for subject, you know, yes. uh, trying to get commissions and, you know, stuff like that. So when you have people around you, you don't need, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. they're just around you. Yeah. You don't have to yeah. hire um, sitters and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. yeah, I do enjoy it. Yeah. And I think as well, so I remember one, 
one of the paintings of, of your daughter's is she was taking down the Christmas lights yeah. on the yeah. Christmas. And I think you'd, you'd been to India and, and come yeah. back, is that right? And, um, come back, yeah. And I just find it fascinating in a way that 20 years' time, you know, t- 10 years' time, when, when your children are grown up, You've created these um, these mementos that that kind of go beyond family photographs. So it, it, you've sort of created this this poetic history in a way. Yes, absolutely. As well, it's beautiful. Yeah, I think you know we have cameras. We have uh, you know you you have so many photographs. You have video videographs and stuff like that. But I think. What a painting brings is that moment that is that has so much of, you know, the time, you know, mm-hmm. captured in it mm-hmm. in a way that nothing else can capture. And uh, like you said, you know, I wish, you know, and so I say to my daughters as well, if I don't leave you a lot of inheritance, you know, <laughs> I'll leave you a lot of paintings <laughs> that hopefully you can make money out of. And yes. inheritance from that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, all those little moments are what kind of, I think for me makes life and for, you know, as you rightly understand that these are the moments that you live for. And sometimes you ignore those little moments, like mm-hmm. taking off Christmas lights is such a simple thing. You know, yeah. putting up is a big deal. You know, you celebrate yeah. it, but yeah. taking it off is a chore. It's a, somebody's job. But if mm. you celebrate those little, little moments, I think it's, you know, it, it kind of, shows what kind of life you're leading so absolutely absolutely it's wonderful um simon did you did you have a question yeah i'd be interested to know how long have you been doing plan air painting was that something you did as a part-time artist and how did you get into that that actual specific practice right so i've so it's what 2023 now uh i started painting in 20 13 seriously that was my first solo exhibition that I had in central London and it so happened that you know being a family man I just had had my children well my first daughter and um, it was like I used to work full-time as a jewelry designer so I I studied architecture and I then I studied jewelry design well product designing and I happened to end up doing jewelry designing job here in London that was my kind of a job that I was doing uh, enjoying it you know having good time but I always wanted to paint so in 2013 I thought you know my wife actually gifted me a canvas and brushes I mean she always knew I painted so she said why don't you paint now that you know you will be spending a lot of time with your girls around here so you know you can do that so I started doing just random pictures like I used to do a lot of these uh, roosters you know just splash of colors and stuff like that so I've just kind of warming up myself like freeing up you know and then somebody saw that and said oh would you like to do a portrait for me so I then thought well why not then I did one portrait the two portraits and before I knew I was doing a lot of portraitures you know so I tended to call myself a portrait artist till it then I had my two exhibitions after that uh, solo exhibitions in um, Mayfair and then I went to New York uh, on a family holiday and I ended up going to all the museums right from Guggenheim to a metropolitan you know um, the museum then I went to Raleigh uh, in North Carolina and 
uh, oh my God, the stuff that I saw there in all the museums, I mean, you have a national gallery here, but I had to go to America to, <laughs> to you know, find my, my, myself, you know, my inner self. And uh, the stuff that I saw that I came back so rejuvenated that I wanted to just paint. And that's how I started doing landscapes more and more looking at all the impressionist work. I was so like, I'm thrilled with what I was seeing. And then the lockdown happened. And when the lockdown happened, it was like, no, you're not allowed to go out. You know, you got to sit inside and paint. And I was like, you know, the little rebel inside me, the subtleness, you know, I wanted to go out and paint. And I said to my wife, and you know, I'm going out and painting. I'm allowed to go alone. You know, I'll be in the wild somewhere. And that's how I started doing in plein air, you know. And mm -hmm. since then, I was like, the bug was bitten, you know, and I couldn't yeah. stop myself. I had been painting every day, three, four paintings, like, you know, like just like from a factory outlet, you know, just going on and on and on. And, you know, that's that's the story that kind of um, tells like how I ended up doing landscapes. So it has been quite a, like a transition in, in this mm. aspect as well. That's fascinating. I mean, if I could follow up, just I'd, I'd like to know, has your kit that you take out to do these paintings, has that become more refined and kind of more honed? Have you kind of crafted something where you know this is an efficient kind of set of tools? Yeah. So initially what used to happen, I used to work very small, meaning like 10 by 12 inches or 10 by 8. And, you know, the, the spontaneity that I would get doing that was amazing. I loved it, you know, the splashes of colours and getting the just enough information on it. And then I, you know, it so happened then, you know, I started selling it, which means, you know, I'm exhibiting with the galleries and, you know, competitions and stuff like that. It's become more and more serious. And that's when it's kind of uh, the demand to get bigger and bigger was put on me. And there's only so much you can do or I'll primer, you know, on the site when you're painting planner because the weather conditions change and, you know, stuff like that. So it's only in past, I think, couple of months that I have well okay um, about six months or so I've started getting the paintings 90% finished on site now bringing in the studio and refining them because many a times you miss out on that one window which <laughs> you probably weren't concentrating and then you look like oh my god something's amiss and then you want to put that thing so a little bit corrections or you know um, just tidying up basically that can happen which is probably just Two or five percent of the of the work, I would say. Uh, but yes, ninety nine percent it's Al Primer, and say one percent is you know finishing it up in the studio. Mm. So. Are you working on a, a Pashad box, or and especially for for, for your larger works, uh, yeah. and how big are you talking? Um, I'm, I'm talking about fifty by sixty, or I'm talking about a meter by you know uh, eighty Ooh. centimeters, you know stuff yeah. like that. Now that's that's something that I have to work in the studio, yes. uh, you know, carrying the trains, and you know it's just not possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Though uh, I do, I paint at live events, and that's when I do finish it on the side. But that's yeah. working at seven eight hour that stretch, you know. Yes. Yeah. So, so you've got a Pashad box, and you, you you've got all of your your sort of setup, and yes, and you go on the trains to get around. You go on the tube. Yeah, I mean, I have I have at least four Pashad boxes. I have two French easels. 
and <laughs> you know that the the greed to just buy these stuff it's like uh, yeah it's not very good but uh, you just want to and uh, you know keep upgrading those stuff so uh, it's it's a little bit difficult to travel during the peak times in the train especially you know in london mm-hmm. it's mad um mm-hmm. so you have to like sort your times and drive as much as possible but traveling in central london is not a good idea um also not economical so then you know you have to carry them with you uh and that that's when i realized like how little the planner kit has developed from the impressionists time like it's been 200 years now to you know almost two centuries um but you don't have enough good wet carriers to yeah. carry and every artist is like i really find it funny like an artist is like i was thinking about it yesterday like you you're not just paint but you know you are you're trying to market yourself you're trying to sell your work uh, you're trying to do diy stuff you're trying to frame your work you know you're a package <laughs> you know, yeah. i don't think any other profession allows yes. you to be such a uh, you know such a package and you know yeah. it's, it's amazing what what you tend yeah. to learn and want to do Absolutely. Absolutely. sometimes the cost slow but many a times it's just you want to do it to your standard you know yeah i i find that fascinating because i'm i'm very very similar like that that um i'm my own marketing department yeah. my own pa my <laughs> all of those types of things and it was interesting you saying about uh wet panel carriers there because yeah. it was it was sort of one of those blind spots i don't paint planet very much myself yeah. uh, but when i have done it and i went through a real phase of getting all of the equipment in the past yeah. and i remember going out and it was a blind spot i was sort of going and painted a couple of paintings i think yeah. how am i going to get these home true and then and then searching and googling you know wet panel carrier Yeah. and in this country i mean jacksons have recently started so yeah. but i couldn't find any yeah so can you imagine it's only in these recent years and that too I th- i'm telling you it's like in recent 3 or 4 years that yeah. the market is flooded because i think so many artists are turning planner artists it's a little yeah. bit now saturated market and uh like a lot of these groups have formed which kind of is less intimidating for artists to come out and paint when mm-hmm. you're in group and i think because of that a lot of the uh suppliers are understanding that you do need these kind of kits mm-hmm. even like spacers i think there's um, yeah. recently another company uh, i think ashcraft or somebody they started doing the spacers between the wet paintings you know and mm-hmm. I, i was just amazed like so for years you just follow ken howard's idea of matchsticks Match- you know putting Match- things together yeah. Yeah. so i mean it's just uh, like mind boggling like these innovations <laughs> are happening now after yes. centuries you know yeah yeah amazing yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's all of these things sort of be, being being an artist and being um it, it being both a profession but a passion and a hobby um but as you say and i think now especially in the 21st century with instagram yeah with um online presence that that the artist learns very quickly that they have to adapt right. and be all of those things yeah. um yeah. whereas before uh, you didn't have as many artists uh, as many professional artists i should Absolutely. say because galleries would would yeah. kind of look 
all of that stuff now. Yeah. But now it's yeah. spinning so many plates. <laughs> so many. And yeah. I think there's so much of information available out there. Like now, you know, with with the way the human mind is kind of developing, it's like it's not what what where you look for information. It is like how you um you know like compartmentalize those that information because there's so much available you can't just your mind can't process it you know you need no. to pick the right things that are um that suit you and you mm. know you need to go ahead and yes. I, I was talking about social media to somebody and people find it i mean uh, you know we go through phases of like love and hate with social media mm. and i think i i have come to realization that if you are disciplined, like how we started um, uh, this conversation with, if you're disciplined with even with your social media, you know, which is hard with the teenage generation, but people of, you know, our generation, I think in our mm -hmm. age, I think it's not very difficult if you're very conscious about how much time you're spending. Mm -hmm. And imagine a free marketing tool is just available there. You know, you're not paying a penny for that. Um, of course, your time, but then yes. you know, it's there. You've got to make most of it. And, Absolutely. you know, so that, I mean, that's my personal view. But yeah, um, yeah it's, I mean, that's and, how probably we connected, you know. Yeah, of, of course, of course. And that's, and really, that's what this podcast is about, I think, to, that being able to provide, you know, some of these insights to people and to be able to spread it. On, yeah, on, exactly. No, no, it's yeah. amazing doing yeah. this because we see the we see the visual story in that yeah. sense through posts and and all of that but this is that kind of that other side and i mean on the same note i think there is a tendency i mean at least i have seen many artists they tend to write a lot write a lot in their mm -hmm. post and i i do that as well and i like to give a lot of background behind the whole thing and mm -hmm. I think it's true when you even visit a gallery, you see a painting and then you read the the blurb that is, you know, explaining the painting. And then you look at it with a completely different, you know, vision. And Absolutely. I think same with artists, when you have like, you know, you, you follow the artist, you know the backstory, it just completely, you yeah. know, opens up to the, to the work of the artist. I totally agree, totally agree. Yeah. Simon, do you want me? I've been trying plan air a few times recently. I've kind of caught the bug recently. And uh, I went to a, a, a festival and tried it there. And then I went a couple of times on my own. Now I've kind of made some rookie mistakes. I didn't prime the canvas. So that's immediately job number one, which I've got to prime yes. the canvas and then start painting on, a, you know, partially still wet primed canvas. But yeah. that's something I don't mind getting around. I use acrylic, so it's just layering plastic on top of itself really so it's kind of it's fine I've, I've painted enough to know the medium but are there any kind of practical tips you can offer for plan air painters who might not be aware from, through your experience you know what what you've come across yeah i think absolutely you know there's a saying like if you if you're good at doing something materials don't matter and i really don't buy that because i think materials and tools are the key to get the best thing out. I mean, imagine a sculptor trying to, you know, sculpt something with a blunt tool. It's not going to happen, right? So I think we as our artists, we do need very good tools. We need good materials. And um, you, need to, you, you need to have your gear 
set properly. And like they say, it's nothing like a bad weather. It is the bad, bad clothing, you know. So in similar way, there's, you know, you've got to have your gear proper to go outdoor and paint. And there are some, like, to begin with canvas, you have, of course, you have the standard canvas, which is like a stretched canvas, which is great, which, which comes primed. So, you know, you don't have to worry about that. Um, you can always, uh, you know, put a ground on it. Um, then you have uh, canvas boards, which I really like because they give a good stability. You're not worried about, you know, poking something in the canvas and, uh, you know, you can just put it in a wet carrier very easily. Um, and then you have uh, wooden, wooden boards. You have uh, MDF panels that come in different thicknesses. The only thing with the later two is you need to prime them, you know, like you mentioned, you need to really, really prime them. And traditionally you had the, the rabbit skin glue, you had, um, uh, uh, the idea is let not the oil soak into the panels. And we all go through this process of making these rookie mistakes. I have done it, you know, like you said, you have done it. So um, it's, it's a learning curve. And I have tons of paintings that probably weren't primed well because I was using just um, the leftover from the, from the cleaning can, uh, you know, just putting it and then, you know, it's not good enough. So you need to have a nice uh, either acrylic uh, uh, gesso or um, uh, you, uh, you know, something that doesn't absorb the, the, the oils and the colors keep the same uh, luminosity or the vibrancy that you painted with. Um, that's that's the thumb rule to have a good board. That is very very essential. Um, and uh, when it comes to carrying your colors, you know people tend to buy these big you know uh, tubes like five hundred milliliters or two hundred milliliters. It's like uh, you know you don't have to. You can just buy small tubes because the less the weight on your shoulders, the less the weight on your mind. You know you you need to go with a very very uh, light head to and to begin something afresh you know if your your shoulders are tired if your hands are aching it's no fun you know you're tired even before you start the painting so uh, go as light as possible make sure you have a uh, spare uh, screws and things like that in, in your bag because french easels if you're carrying them you know the butterfly uh, nut bolts just kind of tend to fly off and fall then you're left with one leg missing how do you paint you know Peter Bound recently wrote a very good blog about how he was painting the king's coronation and one of his uh you know that butterfly um that fell off and he he didn't know what how to paint anymore because I mean you know <laughs> he didn't know how to put where to put the canvas so I think those kind of mistakes can happen um so you need to be a bit more prepared um and uh, yeah I think uh, make sure that your your turps, your brushes are clean, uh, you have enough palette. So I actually have a checklist on my phone every single time, which is like almost every single day I go uh, before starting having my tea in the morning. I just check if I have all those things in my bag. It's so easy to miss those things out. Um, I have gone out without uh, without panels. I have gone out without brushes. I have gone out without uh, a phone charged, you know. So uh, you just need to have that kind of a checklist. And mm -hmm. discipline is so such a key for all these things. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. And and it is, it becomes sort of a, a mode and a way of being and, and thinking. And yeah. 
like you were saying about learning how to streamline, because probably when people first go out there, they definitely feel the weight of their equipment very, very yeah. quickly. And, and also, like you were saying about the, the big tubes, um, you know, they're very handy for in the yeah. studio, but, but out working plein air, it's a lot different. Um, so on that point, what colour palette do you use? Does it change from indoors in the studio to outdoors? Or do you just use the same colour palettes all of the time? Uh, yes. I mean, I, I do tend to use, um, you know, Anderzone limited palette. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Uh, so I have done that till this January. Uh, mm well, till December, I use like the basic four or five colors. And mm -hmm. because they are the, you know, the primary colors, you can make the tertiary or the secondary yeah, or the tertiary yeah. color very easily. Yeah. Um, but then I happened to go to India. Uh, <laughs> and the colors that I saw, which didn't exist mm -hmm. in my palette, like I was painting my, my aunt and she was wearing a like magenta um, mm. color, you know, like an outfit. And I'm like, damn it, how do I make this color? Yeah. So <laughs> I had to buy that color. And mm. gradually then I, I started seeing so many colors in, in different, different things. Um, mm. So I have a small tube of those little colors in my side palette. Uh, um, so every now and then, if the palette is getting too, uh, too muted, too saturated, a little bit mm. of dash of, you know, like a chrome yellow or, mm. um, you know, Michael Harding's uh, cadmium red with like little orange or something, just adds a little yes. zing in there. Thing. Yeah, which That's, I think even I see much yeah. of in your paintings as well. Yes. You have a nice, you know, vibrancy yeah. somewhere. Pop, pop of color. It's interesting yeah. you sit saying about India. That, um I've spent quite a lot of time in India, and uh -huh. uh, yeah, I'm actually going back in October. Oh, it's great time! So, so it'll be the fifth time I've been. I haven't been for some time, but I, I yeah. always remember the, especially the saris. And um, but not only that, the, the, the air and the light in India is, is just incredible. I mean, the sunsets and sunrises yeah. are sort of filtered by something, but then you would have these pops of color yeah. on a misty morning, just the yeah. women washing SREs, exactly, and or something. And even though I don't obviously don't paint um, India. Um, all of these experiences throughout life, I feel really have, have, have seeped into my sort of sensibilities with colour. Absolutely, um, absolutely. I mean, you take so much of these cultural elements from, like, mm -hmm. I like to travel a lot, and you know, you you visit the, the, these different countries, and you you kind of absorb all these things, and yeah. not necessarily might like translate into your painting but there is something that you have learned from it and yeah. it kind of shows in your work in yeah. you know um, yeah. years so yeah no definitely well, yeah. I'm very pleased you have been to India yeah yes. so, so whereabouts in India are you from which, which I'm from Maharashtra which is the the you know where, where Bombay is yes. and um uh, yeah, so a place very close to uh, to Bombay. Uh, I still call it Bombay. It's Mumbai yes. now. Yeah. Um, it's uh, Nasik, where I was uh, born and raised. Uh, mm. I did my schooling there because my dad used to work there. Um, uh, he used to build um, uh, fighter planes, like he was oh, an wow. engineer. So mm. uh, we constantly had like 
you know, the uh, <laughs> fighter planes just yeah. <laughs> going up and down. So I think, uh, yeah, that's where I grew up. Um, mm-hmm. But now my parents have moved to uh, southern Maharashtra uh, because my dad retired and yeah, now, now he lives there. So that's where I basically, okay. my parents are still there. So that's where I go and visit them. And it's no. beautiful. Beautiful. Have you traveled around India much? Yes. yes. So when I was doing architecture, we used to have these architectural study tours, you know, studying mm. architecture all across the India. And I think that's the best thing that has happened to me because mm. very soon after my uh, graduation and post-graduation, I left India and I moved to this country. So I would have missed that opportunity to mm. see real India in, in a, mm. you know, the beauty and the architecture of it. So I was very lucky that those five years of studying architecture, we we were taken to different parts of the uh, you know of India and uh, see what the architecture, the zones architecture. Yes. And I, and I mean it's incredibly diverse. The, the, yes. the, the I mean the, it, there's so many languages there. I can't remember thousands of different languages. Oh yeah, even um, I would know yes. how many. Thousands of different gods worshipped in different places. So I mainly go, I've travelled all over India, but I mainly go to the north, to Himachal Pradesh, oh, right. which happened as well in, in the Himalayas. Oh, yeah. fantastic. How lucky. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. right. um, so, um, so, yeah, I was just curious as well, with you mentioning having a, a background in architecture, does that influence your choices when you're setting up? Do you do you have a you know preference for I want this type of style? In- yes, I mean uh, architecture has been such a big influence in my you know in my work in my art um, because I think when you study architecture for five years you're studying in so much depth you're studying about not just the structure but you're studying the beauty and the history of any building, any style, any, uh, you know, be, uh, if we say, like, for example, Baroque style, Renaissance style, and those are not just architectural styles, th- those were also the art styles, you know, so they all go hand in hand, whether it is the uh, the jewelry at that time, whether it is the outfits around that time, whether it is the architecture, the city planning, so, you know, it all comes hand in hand, and we studied all of that together. So you get a very good idea about what things, uh, the culture and what the time uh, was around that time and what influenced it. You know, like, for example, after plague, you had like Baroque and Renaissance, you know, because, you know, plague really affected the kind of, um, you know, all the history that we know. So when I paint, I am very much drawn to the architecture. Um, and if you see many of my uh, works do show buildings uh, and London is full full of it, you know, and the mm-hmm. best part it, uh, about London is like the street looks exactly how you know, from the 1800s as it looks today because of the great work of conservation that they do. Um, and it's funny because when you're walking down the streets, you don't tend to look up at the buildings. But when you're painting, you tend to see each and every detail. And it's so fascinating. And it has kind of opened up my my respect and my regard for the conservation all the more because those are the things that have of course you know there is so much of treatment that has been done many of the things are being changed but the design has essentially kept been you know the same for so many centuries now and um, yeah so i'm i'm very naturally drawn to architecture and how how the elements in today's, you know, in like the juxtaposition of the old and the new architecture side by side, 
that attracts me um how in the like old uh street of like um say like cheap side or somewhere you see yeah. people going to bank in all the suit and boot you know that mm. you know it looks so different you know to mm. what it would have looked 100 years back so and it's fascinating yeah, the glass so sort of the glass uh, yes the glass against the old yeah it's fascinating yeah, yeah absolutely. A, sorry i've got another practical question really it's kind of it's something which i've wrestled with a little bit recently and tried to think about how you plan out if you're doing plan air obviously a big factor is the light so how do you kind of plan out do, do you kind of plan your light and shadow a uh, golden spot like say you know like say you wanted to capture the golden hour or is it i will leave the light and shadow out because i know that that will come last and I will impact it then. Is, is there a moment where you try to capture or do you refer to a memory of the shadow? How does that work for you? So I think that's a very, very important question for painting plein air, because I think uh, for me and many artists like me, I think the light is light and shadow is everything, you know. Um, unfortunately, in this country, the weather is very fluctuating. Um, and that's a big, big challenge. Uh, when I'm painting in India or you're painting in Venice or Spain, anywhere, you know, you can do like three paintings in a day, morning, afternoon, evening, or maybe in the night, nocturne, come back the next day and you can carry on the first painting, then painting B, painting C, painting D. And that's how many artists did, in, including, you know, Monet and uh, Renoir and all these, you know, artists, that's how they painted. They did a morning painting the light is exactly the same and same in india you know the shadows are exactly the same but here it's not just that the timings could be different but the weather is different you have four seasons in a day you know so that's that's very challenging and um the way i approach things is like if it's going to be a cloudy day throughout the day then i'm not chasing the light which is great because then i can take good three hours on a painting rather than one hour you know on a, on a nicer day or something so when i know at if i start a painting at morning 10 o'clock and i know the sun is going to come at one o'clock i'm i'm going to do the the basic you know layout and everything play around take it easy and then when i know that the weatherman plays important role if they can be very accurate about it and then you you then start putting the light in the shadows it could be just for half an hour, but I think that that is just good enough to get that light because nobody is going to ask you like why that light is only on the half of the face and half of the building at the back. Because the more you paint, you you understand how the light works. Uh, and with experience, you can kind of cheat a little bit. You know, you can actually make the light fall a bit more further for uh, composition's sake than it actually fell on that day, you know. Um, that's one way to do it. Or there are people, there are artists who visit the place again, wait for the same uh, day, same month, same season, and they come back and then they paint. So that's a lot of patience. And mm. if you can have that, then, you know, it, it's amazing. And you you seem very much like the first artist. You just, <laughs> um, it's it's more about that, that capturing. Um, yes. I, I mean, like you were saying earlier, you're you're very prolific, even when out painting. Um, so, how many, say, in a typical um, plein air session, um, how many paintings will you paint? 
So I I have a routine of like from on a on a on a day when I'm painting, which is a normal day. Yeah, if I'm out at say half nine, then I'm back home by three. Uh, either it is to pick my girls or the weather has changed. There's no point painting. But if I'm having a good session on a whole day, say from morning nine, um, I mean you know I'm I'm a part of the warping group now. I'm a member yeah. of warping group. So the way and it's on every Wednesday. So we we start usually ideally people come by eleven or so. But if you start early at nine then you're painting till uh, five or six. So you get good, you know, eight, nine hours to paint if you want mm -hmm. to. Um, and you can easily make three three to four uh, medium size or small size paintings, you know. And like I said, because there's no point painting the same painting from morning to evening because the shadows go from left yeah. to right, top to bottom. So you you'd be making a wrong painting. But you can easily make two to three paintings, which mm -hmm. I tend to do usually, uh, and many of us uh, who are painting for the whole day. Um, so yeah, I think three is quite uh, quite decent number to to mm -hmm. paint. Yeah. Have you have you found over time that you've got faster at doing it or less um, perfectionist about it, where you're becoming much more impressionist over time? Yes, I mean my my. My goal is to become more and more impressionist. I would like mm. to have more abstraction uh, in my in my work. Uh, I would like to leave a lot for the viewer to analyze and uh, you know make sense of it. Uh, but it's very like because the subject. It also depends on the subject, especially if you're doing um, uh, like a nice. Uh, something from a countryside, you know, a nice little hill with clouds going on. You know, you mm. can be very abstract about it. Yes. But when you are doing a London building, you know, that's when you kind of start getting wrong because you 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 got to finish at the time when you have just put enough information, but you just want to put that extra flag there or that little something, the inside light in the pub or something, and. Uh, that's something I'm trying to overcome, you know, get mm. more and more. Um, mm. And that's when the time really plays important role. You've got yeah. to give yourself two hours window in which you, you need to raise your hand, stay back, go for a coffee or something and yeah. say that I'm not going to work on it, you know. Yes. And that's the best way to do it, really. Absolutely. It's very, very interesting um, when I, I teach painting. So often when I teach, I will give a time limit to people. Yes. And they're only two hour classes, so yeah. we'll often give 20 minutes or half an hour um, because you, you've got to get as much information down in that 20 sure. minutes and a half hour as possible. The longer you have, you know, the more you can go in. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're seeing a lot and you don't want to see all those things. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you, do you find um, as well when you're painting um, plein air in particular? How do you how do you sort of focus on one thing? And I, I've seen it before with people who've, who've just started plein air, um, or even myself when when I'm out doing it, that it, it's hard to to keep one scene in in one's yeah. mind. There's a lot of information going on around you. Does that get better with time? Uh, absolutely. I think you, I always say this, in, even when I go for doing demos and things like that, that 
the whole painting and uh, painting, especially plein air process, is nothing but seeing and unseeing, you know, mm-hmm. because you see so much, but you need to learn to unsee those things, you know. Mm-hmm. And when you're painting, it's the first thing you need to ask yourself, why have I stopped here? And why I have, I'm thinking that I should paint this. And there's always one, only one and only one thing that attracted you to that, uh, that view. And I think if you capture that view in your painting, I think that's just good enough because all the rest peripheral things is like, like even now, right now we are talking, I know you're sitting there, there's a, a, a couch, there are little paintings at the bag and switch and things like that. But I'm just looking at your eyes and, you know, as yes. talk, I think that's, that's exactly how, uh, a painting a view for a viewer also the painting looks like you know all the yeah. other information it needs to be like unseen and it can get yeah. as blurry and as little yeah. as as possible yeah that's very important that really really is um they tend to some sometimes think people think you have to cram it all in but really yeah. as you say the viewer sort of focuses whether it's holistically the holistic scene or onto that that main focus. Exactly. I mean, the 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 rest of the thing just gives you the context for the for the thing. Mm. But I was in um, uh, Brancaster Beach yeah. last year, and I was there to paint the surfers and the beach. But it so happened that a massive cloud came. It was a clear day, and a massive cloud came, and it just went. Be- the sun went behind, and I think I was so drawn to that. I just only painted that, and the rest mm. of it still showed that it was Brancaster Beach, but yeah. that became the focus of the painting, yeah. you know? Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, things like yeah. that happen. Yeah. And it's it's kind of where the, I mean, when I paint, I'm looking for that, that it's that sort of emotional response to, to the landscape. Yeah. I don't tend to put details in. Often my son is the focal point because that's yeah. what I'm looking at. Yeah. Um, but, like you were saying down on Brancaster Beach, I mean, it's such a vast, vast yeah. space. Uh, Brancaster is in Norfolk, by the way. So it's such a vast space that um, it, it's hard to sort of focus on one thing. But what you do have is it's incredible, the drama of the clouds and how the clouds are, are sort of creating all of this different light around. And you can very easily sort of find something and say, look, that's where the emotion is. That's Absolutely. where... I mean, I love seeing seeing the videos that you post, like on yeah. your walks, and the, I mean, it looks so unreal. It's like straight <laughs> yeah. out of National Geographic, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, just, it's so like beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just got a, my phone camera and just sort of yeah. That. So um, yeah, and it's. I, I think for me, it is that that poetry, and but I see in in your work, and that's what I was saying about your you know, how you capture your family, that, that it's this poetic element. But I also think as well how you capture the city. I lived in London for, for 12 years and wow. and know that it has this, this many sides, of this busyness, this yeah. element of flux, of transience and all of that. But you, you seem to capture those moments really well and very poetically. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. You, um not working from photograph is there a do you use a viewfinder you know is there a way where you say that is outside the scope i'm keeping or is it just your in your mind do you say the cutoff point is you know that that hedge and and that edge of the building How does that yeah work? i mean 
having a viewfinder is a very good idea because that immediately tells you that's your frame. Mm-hmm. But more and more, I'm not using it. Uh, maybe I should use it, but I'm not using it at the moment. Um, it's just because I look at things and I literally like hold my brushes and I like visually cut it down that that tree and that end of the bridge is my view, you know, and then the sky and the ground doesn't matter, you know. So that's what I, I actually do. Um, may not be the right thing, but uh, it works for me. <laughs> <laughs> How many artistic creative choices do you make outside of the reality? How many things do you think, because you mentioned earlier about heightening certain things, and that can be really important for serving the image over the truth, which is what's important with a creative decision. So how many of those do you find yourself making? For I mean, constantly, because, um, you know, I, the other day, um, again, my another artist uh, colleague, we were saying like, we as an artist, you know, are constantly cheating you know, cheating in a way like, uh, you know, you paint something and you have painted, um, like yesterday I did two paintings in Richmond and earlier I did, uh, well, that was not cheating, but I'll come to it. Um, As I was painting, uh, a massive red truck came on the riverside and I'm like, of all the places, this happens in the city, but here as well, it's like I completely lost my cool. I'm like, how long are you going to wait? Like obstructing my view. And he wasn't a post office, not a postman. It was just a massive red van. And I just didn't know what to do with it. But it gradually went back and back. It was going in the rivers. And it went and it was there for about five to 10 minutes. And I liked it. You know, funny enough, I liked it because everything was green, blue and everything. And that red really added nice element. And I painted it. Um, and within a few minutes, it went. So I was glad that it came with part and, you know, I painted it. It added a lot to the viewing, you know, mm-hmm. the, the concentration. And after that, the same place was taken by uh, an ice cream van, which was a really pale yellow. And I was comparing both the paintings. Uh, actually, they're just behind me here. I was comparing both the paintings mm-hmm. and I realized the one with the red van is actually making so much nicer than the the pale yellow van because it's not even seen that was the ice cream van and things like that now you can always alter your composition uh based on you know what you want to like when i'm painting there are uh, london buses that are coming and going the black cabs so sometimes having 10 black cabs on regent street doesn't make it a good painting you'll add one maybe like a yellow dhl van or something you know it's mm-hmm. just puts a little bit more um, realistic as well as, you know, a bit more composition wise, it makes it a nice painting. So I think we are constantly cheating in terms of uh, from your past experiences, what can work and what cannot work. Artists have always done this. If you look at a lot of constable paintings, um, he, I mean, he would move trees around, you know, Yes. here's my scene, but the tree isn't there. I want to put it there. So, and that is the great thing about creativity and being an artist, an artistic's license to, to do that. If it serves the composition, it works. It's and equally fun. with colour as well, that yeah. you may think, well, you know, the, the, that there is great, but I'm, I'm going to turn it into a magenta or turn yeah. it into an emerald green yeah. for the painting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the best part. The creative license is like... Yes. 
yeah there. so with you and i've just made some notes there so you're you're the founder of london plein air group i'm co-founder with carol yeah. yes so co-founder um and you're a member of whopping group of artists mm-hmm. a member of british plein air yes it's this premier group how does it how does it feel because i'm quite a solitary artist so i i tend to be um you know i, I like talking like this and you know i've got lots of artist friends and stuff like that how you know how does it feel to be part of these groups you seem like a very um sort of community oriented guy in that sense as an artist yeah. um do you feed off each other whilst you're out painting how does that go so that it's it's such an interesting question and especially f- for people who do plein air i think um it's it's the process that i have come to term it as is called a learning by the process of osmosis and i keep saying this because um you know for those who are not aware osmosis is like a scientific term for uh, absorbing things you know like if you keep some dry thing next to the wet you know the dry thing will absorb the wetness you know and that is how our brains work as well and you know the whole thing after the covid is like uh, people need to come back to work you know there is so much of exchange of knowledge that happens and stuff like that even for schools you know it's very healthy for children to come together because as as a human you know as human brain we are constantly constantly learning till the like i think to the last breath you know you're constantly learning new things and that's where this uh community for artist comes in picture and um the way the uh, london planner group was formed was like in was because of the need for uh me and carol to come and paint more with the like minded people you know yes. and i think recently there has been a flux of this kind of uh, community building and uh planner Uh, painters who want to come more and more together and paint and because of that i think the competitions are happening the revenue build up is happening you have these conventions where you know people come together and paint you have one in offerk in ireland you know there's so many that are happening and mm-hmm. now um, in june next uh, next month we are having our own little competition in chelsea because we were invited by the mm-hmm. chelsea art society so i think it's that that buzz that these communities not just create but it's also the learning that happens and you it's less intimidating when you're painting outdoors you you are together you're enjoying and i think why people like this i've given a lot of thought to this and that's why i think why people like to come together and paint is because the sense of satisfaction and the achievement you might work from 9 to 9 in the evening uh, in front of your computer and come back home thinking what a waste of day you mm-hmm. know because you haven't kind of achieved those kind of the emotion senses haven't haven't been triggered you know mm-hmm. so when you are out there you are meeting people you are doing something that you like you have learned something new you have seen like 10 different pochard boxes you have seen new uh, you know new colors that you didn't even knew existed the brush strips and there's so much learning even today i'm constantly learning you know brush holders how to like the wet carriers so i think this kind of community is very very important mm-hmm. uh, in the in the artist world and i think uh, being part of like the whopping 
it started with London Premier Group, and then I I was invited to become the um, the whopping, and uh, now recently uh, I got invited to become the British Premier uh, uh, Painter as well. So which is which is great because which only means that we all are like like minded artists coming together and painting. It's it's yes. amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and it's brilliant because you you have that community, you have that network. Um, do you? Um, it's, so it must be different when you're then going and painting alone and doing plein air. Uh, Do you often yeah. turn to to see you know see if anybody's there to to, to talk to, or or is it? do you sort of um, compartmentalize them they're two different elements. i mean even when you're together painting you are on your own it's mm-hmm. you you go together and you just find a place for yourself to paint and then for those two three hours you're actually on your own but the only uh-huh. thing is like oh i need to go to the loo can you look after my g- g- <laughs> yeah, stuff like that that right. helps and then of course at the end of the day you know you're painting putting all your paintings together uh, and then you you're learning from it you know you're saying oh the same scene I painted so differently so I think that kind of helps but when you're on your own uh, it's it's probably because uh, you know you're in a very busy city somewhere in the corner where you're painting on your own you still get tourists coming asking you weird questions mm-hmm. and stuff like that I mean they're your admirers so they come which is which is great um but uh yeah I mean it's essentially the same whether you are in the group or uh you know painting on your on your own um yeah that you kind of zone zone in zone out kind of thing do you have a favorite place uh, to paint uh yes I like if I have to do the city painting, I mean, uh, there's so many places in, in London that, you know, I would like to paint. I, I, I really don't like painting the glass structures. I mean, that's not something uh, I, I kind of drawn into. But these days it's very hard because whatever London view you're painting, there's a, either the Gherkin or the walkie-talkie building, something yeah. is popping up, yeah. which is fine. But, you know, it's at the backdrop. Yeah. But I can't get myself getting very close and painting painting that because... Uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, coming from an architect, it's funny, but that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many places in London. I can't pick one. Uh, I like the bank. I like Cheapside. Um, yeah. yeah, Corbin Garden is great. Yeah, many, many places. I spoke to, oh, sorry. Uh, I spoke to a photographer last month, and he told me about how he'd go on ex- excursions with a group of photographers. And when they would land at the, at the site they'd all scatter so that they don't have the same view of what they're, you yeah. know they're all finding different subjects in different places is there any of that with groups of plan air painters where it's like i want my view to be a specific something that is very me and i don't want to necessarily echo everyone's vantage point really. yeah i mean I'll, I'll be very honest when i when i started painting in initial days i i was a little possessive about the views i'm painting you know stuff like that but you know there is no view that hasn't been painted <laughs> you know at least in, in the city of london so what yeah. you might think that you're painting for the first time <laughs> some artist has painted it already you know so yeah. it's uh, it really doesn't matter whether it has been painted or not or somebody else is sitting next to you standing and painting the same view because what you are painting what you're seeing is something so different than what that person is seeing and uh, the styles are so different and everybody is 
Uh, and that's that's what I'm saying. Like when at the end of our uh, paint outs, when we lay down the paintings, you see like, oh my God, like I did not even notice there was a little duck there or something like that, you know? So, uh, or that duck added so much to the composition. And for mm -hmm. me, it was just a nuisance. So I got rid of it. So, you know, things like that. Um, it really doesn't matter. I mean, for people who are just starting, I, I would just say like, it doesn't matter if you're painting the same view. Somebody no. has already painted that view. Yes. <laughs> and the, um, the great thing about painting is that the visual language that each artist is using to interpret yeah. the view is incredible. And I'll often say this, that um, painting styles are very much like handwriting. Yes. That you may be writing the same passage out, but yeah. the, the way it's coming across, so you could get you know five artists painting exactly the same scene. Exactly. One yeah. being pasto brush strokes like that, but more refined. So yeah. it's it, and it's beautiful to see. Yes, you know, very well said. It's it is like handwriting, and you know, mm. then people can write ten things, but they will never be looking same. Yeah. 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 Um, so talking about that. Um, you are um, uh, Sky Landscape Artist of the Year. Uh, how was it? How's the experience? It was wonderful. I mean, I know it's it sounds really nerve-wracking that, you know, oh, my mm. God, you're going to be there, you're going to paint in the pots. But I think, I mean, I have said this before on many occasions as well, and without sounding very like I'm very cool about this, it's, it's mm. honestly, it was actually very very chilled out uh, personally for me because um, it wasn't different than painting outdoors because I'll tell you what when you're painting in the in the city you get hundreds of people coming to you asking questions the first question is like are you are you are you painting that view <laughs> like yes I'm <laughs> painting exactly that view you know like as silly as that or like are you are you a real artist are you uh, is this your hobby or is this profession do you make enough money you know people ask so many like uh, uh, personal questions or like whatever you know and so I am very much used to painting and carrying on painting while people are asking these questions and I, I bet many of other artists who paint in crowded places are used to these kind of questions. Uh, many people wear headphones so that you can completely be cut off. So people are talking to you, then they just get tired and they walk away and you're still painting. <laughs> um, but for me, I think engaging with people is not something that I run away from. So when, when somebody comes and asks me a question, after two questions, you know whether they're just wasting your time or they are really interested in something so it was similar for me you know when I was doing the landscape artist of the year it starts at seven in the morning and finishes at nine in the evening so you're there for the whole day um you're you're painting uh not just painting you're made to walk left right look right talk uh they ask you a question oh no sorry can you say that answer again so there's a lot of this you know film making that happens mm -hmm. and at the end of the day it is it is a show they they want to make it interesting they want to make something that the audience will be in either in awe of it or completely disgusted with it you know so they have to play play between the what works for the for the trps and things like that so i really really enjoyed uh being there it was at, really at i was very very much at ease and honestly i I did not go there thinking I got to win this. Otherwise, my hands would be trembling. You know, yes. I was there to just enjoy my time. And I was the pod artist. So I was I was really I knew that 
um, you know, we all eight artists are going to be on the screen. I didn't have to make extra effort to like, you know, <laughs> be there and wave my hand, get the audience. So it was all like very much sorted. And, you know, it was it was mm-hmm. very well planned. We uh, I think we, we had like an entourage of like three or four people to take care of us, mm-hmm. uh, supply us food, whatever we wanted, set up and everything. So it was very, very uh well sorted except the venue because <laughs> the the venue was ascot which was <laughs> which was fine but when they say like landscape artist of the year um the only uh critical uh thing that came from, that comes from me is like they asked us to paint something that was nothing in front of us it was just a, a run a race course and i think when they realized that oh it's there's nothing to paint. They thought, let's put the wild cards in the front, which was lots of people in the front. So uh, there's a bit of a conflict between what's landscape mm-hmm. and what's not. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But other than that, I think it was an amazing experience. The guests yeah. were, uh, the, sorry, the the hosts and the the, um, uh, the judges were, were like mm-hmm. really, really good. They make you feel very comfortable. Was there any mean. part of that which you would like to have on your day-to-day you know, uh, plan air excursions, would you like to have an element of that? Like, I'd like to have those three people looking after me on my day-to-day excursions. Oh, yeah. yeah, all the time. I'll tell you something. Like, uh, I do live events. So I do, like, these live weddings and stuff like that. So it's... Um, that's when you have so much running out of time, you know? So you really need somebody to hold those colours tubes open for you and you know you just put the yeah. colors you know you really need that you just have to put your hand out and they, they <laughs> exactly like read your mind like you know white you know the white is just made yeah. you need assistance um but you know it's not my sometimes my daughter accompanies me to these events and then she helps me out which is which is a great help um but um yeah not only paints indian wedding uh, yes uh that's when i have to remember to take that magenta or <laughs> turquoise green or something like that <laughs> um yes i have one tomorrow that i'm doing and uh it's uh it's it's a different uh thing um uh new craze i suppose you know people mm-hmm. are there are photographers and everything but people want something that has the smell of the time you know when it is yes. done the essence and um yeah so um yeah that's something i uh it's done on the day yes that's really interesting um is there an element of performance with it i mean i i teach i've been teaching this morning um just classes and workshops um to adults and there's always an element of performance with it because of course you're you're painting and doing a demonstration in um, in front of a group of 10, 15 yeah, people. Um, and I've got used to that o- over yeah. time and I'm much more comfortable actually doing the painting than I am standing up and talking in front of yeah. So I, I'm in that zone. So when you do a, a wedding like that, is there an element of performance in it? Yes, there is, because I mm-hmm. think the whole idea is... Um, Usually these things are like either a gift from the bride to the groom or the sister 
from or the in-laws, you know, stuff like that. So mm. uh, many a times it's a surprise. So if it's a surprise for the bride, she comes and she's like, I was wondering what's happening in that corner, you know, mm. later on she'll come and tell to me. Mm. Um, uh, so things like that. And there's a little bit of unveiling at the end of the day. So it's like getting the guests together and uh, it's like ending the evening before they hit the dance floor, um, mm. you know. Um, so yeah there is a little bit of it and um, it's like unveiling that happens not every time but many a times that kind of Mm. thing happens so like you said there is a little bit of stage there is a little bit of a spotlight moment when um, people you know talk about you and then you have to talk about you know stuff like that Mm. so one of the weddings I went and um, uh, they, they said they wanted me to do a speech and I'm like it's their moment you know what am I going to say but they were really keen to make it as a highlight and I started talking about my work and I realized how bored the audience must have been I was like you know plein air you know this and I'm like what am I talking (laughs) so then I said okay over to you guys (laughs) Do do you ever with that say if you're painting the the bride and groom and then you're sort of halfway through the painting you think I'm not sure this is going the way I want it to go what what would you do in that case would you would you bring out another canvas and start it or another panel and start again or would you wrestle with the image until you got it right so there have been times when I have painted and over painted on it three times because what happens in um this was in Chewton um, hotel uh and the hall was uh, because it was a Christian come Persian wedding. So they had their customs from both the sides, you know, Mm. for the wedding. So first they had the Persian thing, then the Christian thing and, you know, stuff like that. It was a bit of overlap and beautifully done, but which meant the whole decoration in the hall was changing. First they had uh, the tables on the side, then they had the tables uh, completely removed. And then the tables came back for the dining then the mm. lights changed and stuff like that. Um, so I started in the morning when the setting was a bit Persian, you know, and then in the afternoon, it changed to something else. They were doing their vows and stuff like that. And then in the evening, it was the dining. So I, in the end, I did the dining setting because I really liked how the it looked, but which meant I had to do it in two hours. Then the morning, you know, I had spent so much time. So yes, it does happen when, uh, for my own satisfaction, I'm not happy with what I've seen or that moment has quickly gone. I couldn't capture it enough, you know, mm-hmm. in good time. So, but the dining moment was longer. So I prefer to do that. So these kind of decisions are like on the spot. Yeah. Um, you have, you got to take them and um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's enjoyable. <laughs> yes. And of course you get better at it over time. I suppose so. I mean, I hope so. And I'm hoping so. Um, yeah, you do get, you know, what can go wrong. You yeah. know uh, what kind of time you need to finish this or uh, what's good for unveiling. And after that, you need to do that extra flower decoration. You can still do it. So you can actually plan out your things just mm. so that uh, the time is crucial, you know. So I think, yeah. Good. Uh, I was going to ask is. I was told by a tutor once, a painting tutor, he said that for him it's, it's maybe slightly different, but he said that his paintings don't have to be finished, they just have to be resolved. Are there ever cases where you still have paintings that you could not resolve? Does that happen? Sometimes? Oh, gosh. There was somebody um, I know who recently posted a 
uh, photo of a barbecue, uh, well, not a barbecue, but the incinerator in the garden with tons of his paintings, the board that he was, you know, into the flames. Wow. And we all usually just say like, uh, oh, this is for the for the bin or this is for the, you know, things like that. This goes in the barbecue thing like that. You never do it. You know, you just say it. You probably recycle the board or something. But he actually did it. <laughs> I thought it was like really, really <laughs> like a statement, you know, and stuff like that does happen because in the end, you might not have finished that painting or it just never worked. I last year I painted in a canary wharf. And like I said, I'm not very fond of painting the glass buildings. And uh, I wandered, wandered, and there was nothing because I was surrounded with these glass skyscrapers. So I, I found a little uh, very massive, um, I don't know if it's a yacht or like a massive boat, which is like a uh, some uh, Chinese owner, you know, like a probably a billionaire. And it was parked there. And I thought, well, that something I can paint and I painted and I really struggled and then I just scrapped it came home and I thought well I can work it out and do it it never happened you know yeah. so there are so many of these kind of works that are left incomplete some of them are like oh you need 10 paintings for that show then you look for <laughs> one of those unfinished <laughs> paintings and desperately try to make it work <laughs> and I have a few of them like that that I'm uh, I will be reattending <laughs> because I've you know I need to have so many paintings for the shows and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's just part of the game. Yeah, and it's interesting you said you're saying about that um, it not being resolved. I think within my work, I I I sort of like to leave that bit of um, an unresolved element to it, and and in many ways, impressionism. Yes. Is about Patricia yes. was saying earlier about letting the viewer kind of fill in some of those gaps. Um, and I think it's such you know, such an interesting thing, especially when it comes to plein air painting or to, yeah. or to any painting in that sense that if it's too refined and too resolved, yeah. Yeah. there's nothing for the viewer to do themselves. Uh, Whereas with, with painting and with art, I think, um, the... Um, the viewer likes that participation of being able to sort of go and either project their own sort yeah. of ideal romanticism on it or be able to see the movement and see that, especially a city scene. They want to kind of feel that bustle and kind of create those sounds themselves sure. as well. Um, exactly, because I think engaging the viewer is the key in mm. drawing it's not just drawing the viewer to the painting which is the first thing he might see but after that keeping it engaged is yeah. something and I think that's where uh, what you're saying is absolutely valid because you know seeing and finding things in the painting is mm. something that uh, has made the impressionism so successful. Yeah. Um, funny enough, I was um, uh, viewing this documentary. Uh, it's called um, "The Man Who The Man Who Made It." It's on Sky Arts, and it's a wonderful documentary about how impressionism was, uh, you know, in France and you know Paris. It all started, but there were no takers. I mean, it was completely like thrashed, you know, people yes. used to like boo them when they were like shown and things like yeah. that until 
Americans found it interesting and the Americans started buying it. And that's when the Europe thought, wow, they are paying that must be something. And they paid more attention to it. So the whole journey of like, you know, uh, finding what was lacking in the academic uh, paintings Mm -hmm. is what Impressionism filled. And I think that's where what we are talking about is engaging of the audience was more with with every brush marks with, oh, how he managed to do that with like just one little brush stroke is something you know, it only comes out of experience and things like that. And Absolutely. it's a very interesting documentary. I mean, I, I would highly mm-hmm. recommend it. If you, if yeah, you. I'm interested in, in in seeing that because in Impressionism, it was a, a slur. It was a, a throwaway comment about yeah. uh, about Monet's work that it's always made an, an impression. Yeah. Um, I think as well that that it coincided with really the birth of photography starting to become more mainstream and how visual representation and perfection in visual representation as soon as photography came along you didn't necessarily need you know how pathetic a portrait painters um or because you you could capture it so this visual language that came about at the time where it's much more based on impression and emotion and this sense of sense of scene and atmosphere but how now as well I think I mean everybody's got an iPhone camera or mobile phone camera digital photography is is everywhere um visual media is everywhere but there's still this urge for people to go out and and paint um scenes of a city street Sure. But do it in this way, which is impressionistic, which is um, sort of visual poetry in that way. Yeah, we still have, no matter what technology we've got, yeah. to we capture any any scene perfectly now. But we want these impressions of the scene, sure. and it's it's so important for humans. I think absolutely, and I think it's also the the signature that the the artist brings, what he saw, you know, and yeah. his of the scene is what is so much for that artist and many times people are buying the works because it is from certain artists mm-hmm. because they like how that person sees like how that artist sees things you know mm-hmm. and I think you know like you were saying talking about the phones and things like that I think you know the industrial revolution happened in Europe and I think because of that you had people are so fed up of just having everything so perfect and the cameras yes. came in and everything so people wanted something that had a human touch and that's when the arts and craft moment happened and I think it happened in the UK itself because people yeah. wanted a human touch and I think that's mm-hmm. where because now people have all the iPhones it's so easy to click photos and capture that moment but what yeah. the human touch brings what the emotion brings what the different interpretation of the artist brings that's irreplaceable I think Absolutely. And even with somebody was saying to me the other day, like, what's your opinion about the AI? Because, mm-hmm. you know, they asked me to paint some sunflowers and uh, he said, I can do it even before you. And he went on like chat GPT or something and then uh, the AI. And then he said, look, I made this. And he's like, you know, so we went on like debating and uh, uh, mm-hmm. like the conversation went quite long about it. And in that, and I said, you know, what I have made, it's so personal that can never be yeah. replaced with 
any AI. Yes. So um, it's interesting. And it, takes, and it takes skill. And, oh, and yeah. That's a bit. It's not, I mean, painting is not easy. It's very, it's very not difficult. easy. Absolutely. I mean, it can take years for you to learn how to just put that highlight, you know, yeah. on something that was missing. And people are very easy to say, how can you charge so much for that? You know, I <laughs> yeah. can no. Yeah. You can do that because now you have seen it. But oh. you know there yeah. has been so many years of uh, yes. knowledge and learning yeah. that has happened yeah. to just maybe you know put that line yeah. on where it exactly. Makes Absolutely, it. I mean I think it was Mark Rothko, the abstract painter. Someone had said to him, um, "How long did it take to paint that painting there?" Uh, One of his, you know, it's kind of fresh paint on it. And he said about 55 years. Ah. So was you know, it's very clever that you had to go on exactly. the journey to... Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question. Um, you, so if you have a show coming up and you have to make 10 paintings or, or you have to yourself curate 10 paintings, what's important to you for shows? Yeah, I mean, I know that they may change depending on the venue, but say, you know, is it a theme or do you try to go for scale what, what what is it that goes through your mind when you're trying to make a show i think i the galleries usually the galleries that represent me they they ask me for bigger paintings you know so that's that's their thing i mean bigger the better i think there's a element of um, the value to it you know because then the you know bigger the painting more the price and you know how it works um everybody's there to make money we the galleries everyone um but when it's a soul well it's your own show or something um i haven't had a solo show for quite some time but i think i always go for a certain theme uh, you know either it is just the london scenes or i used to do still life so you know it was just still life or just the portraitures or uh you know, paintings that I did during COVID or my paintings that I did in India, you know, things like that. Because then there is a certain harmony to the yeah. to the viewer to see. Otherwise, it's like in isolation, it looks like the leftover of, you know, previous day, something that's put on the wall. Um, I mean, that's just my thinking. Um, but obviously, you need a variety and, you know, it's always you want to sell things. So you can have different, different thing to everybody's taste so that you sell everything um but yeah i think a theme would always be a nice idea it mm -hmm. like okay when i did uh, my uh, exhibition in 2018 it was called uh kairoscuro you know the the yeah. thing because i played a lot with the light and i was so fascinated with the classism you know so i just used that and that's how the whole work was also worked around so um yeah stuff like that and do you think think of it beforehand for example um is it retrospective you say i've got to put the show together let me um look at works where which that will work together or do you say six months before i've got a solo show here's my theme i'm going to create works to fit that theme I think uh, most of the times it is at the back of your mind. You know mm. where the gallery is. You know what has sold previously. You know what, if you want to put your best foot forward. So, you know, mm. you know what you do best. And I think it just kind of works. Or 
for example, like I said, if you've gone to India or, you know, Spain or somewhere and you have built a good collection, you know, of the th- those things, then it automatically becomes a theme. And um, it, it, yeah, it's kind of has a signature of your work as such. Otherwise, you know, it's like, a, uh, like, for example, many of them use color and light, you know, and yeah. then all the paintings are about the summer and the light and stuff like that. It will be a bit boring if you have call it color and light and then it's all about the gray days and rain, (laughs) you know. So I think somewhere the theme needs to reflect what the collection is about, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I saw when when you were in India, you had some little shots of you painting in uh, uh, um, airport waiting rooms and things like that. So you you using gouache. Yes. Would you say, um, do you use it a lot? Is that your second medium? So when I started doing my live wedding paintings, Mm. uh, I had to do them uh, in certain time and hand it over because they could be heading. So I moved to doing them in acrylics. So, you know, they dry quickly. I mean, they dry instantly. So when I did that, I realized how easy it is to use when you're in transition, when you're in, uh, you know, and travel and something, gouache is best. So mm-hmm. when I'm going with my family on a, on a weekend or something for a walk, or uh, I don't want to put my easel and start painting and yes. let them, it's so antisocial and it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would just take out my sketchbook and if I want to put a splash of color, gouache is best mm-hmm. or watercolors. I found gouache very close to oil colors because they are thick and uh, you can do layers and uh, mm. stuff like that. So I use them exactly how I, u- I use my oils. Mm. So the reason I was painting at the airport and stuff like that, uh, given whatever opportunity was because firstly, I was on holiday and I had participated in the Strata Challenge. Uh, yes. The Strata Challenge is, as you know, it's like the 30 uh, day, uh, you paint every single day and post it online. And it's just something that builds a online strata community yeah. and kind of see how people are getting along. It's a kind of fun thing. And it also gets you in a good discipline of you've got to paint whatever the circumstances or whatever you are at. And I was in India. I was in and out of airports every alternate days. I was meeting my sister, you know, India being a massive country. We were constantly in and out of airports. And I was the days when I was like traveling, I I had waiting times in the airport and that's when I was painting at the airport. So uh, it was, I think it created quite a buzz because everybody was like, what the hell? Like, come on, you don't have to paint so much. And then I had to write the backstory why I was painting because Mm -hmm. it wasn't in need of attention or anything, but out of desperation to paint. Yes. So um, yeah, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's a different take painting at the airport altogether. Yes. And with gouache, I mean, it's just so easy to just, so easy. You know, yeah, you can literally have it in a, in a bag. Yeah, factory. exactly. I mean, the security, because my oils, and the, it's not easy. And mm. sketching wasn't just good enough. So I yes. wanted to use all colours and yes. uh, that was the best, yeah. Yes. And do you find with uh, gouache colours that they are, um, I mean, just the, just how they, they come out and how they dry, it, it reminds me very much of... Um, it, some of the colours in India that they're they're very saturated, but have mm. this kind of nice kind of matte feel to them as well. Yeah. And for me, gouache is. It, I think if I could use it on a large scale successfully, I mean, it's just 
be so expensive to do that. I, I would because there's nothing like the this, yes. the color quality. Gosh. Exactly. I mean, see, with the watercolors and acrylics, they tend to uh, desaturate with yeah. time and they go very dull, you know. So mm. I tend to paint like my wedding ones as well. I tend to paint very brighter so that yeah. with time they don't completely get, yeah. you know, um, yes boring um but with gouache on the contrary they stay exactly how you did on the day one and yes. that's the best part of uh, of gouache the vibrancy and the colors are like really yes. good and like you said in the indian context they are the best because those yes. colors are really and most of the colors are primary in a way yeah. you know um yeah. so i yeah it's um yeah it's it's very very basic and very vibrant colors that they yeah. have strong yeah. hue yeah. When you talk about being so prolific and people online looking and you having to explain exactly why there's such a mission of, you know, one every day, there will be painters who will be watching this or, or people who want to be painters who are watching this, who might want to know how to actually create that structure. Do you set yourself hours where you say by 10 a.m. I'm going to be in the studio or something like that, you know, where you you're disciplined that way as well? How does that work for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, earlier, you know, like, it's a very, okay, again, um, on BBC, I think there was a program um, called uh, What Artists Do the Whole Day, you know, mm -hmm. and it's a very good insight into artists' life, because really, what do they do? And before I actually turned a full-time artist, uh, I used to think, oh, my God, if ever I had to become a full-time artist, painter, I would have so much time in hand, you know, I would just be like paint when I want and the rest of the time I would watch Netflix or whatever. <laughs> but from the time I turned full-time painter, I'm telling you, you don't get time to breathe because there is so much to do. Like when we started the conversation, I was telling you, you are trying to sell your work, you're trying to build the frames, you're trying to clean the palette, you're, you're you know, you're doing everything, meet the galleries, meet the potential clients, you know, and now with the social media, you, you are trying to create your presence there. You have commitments with the groups that you got to go and paint. If you're organizing the groups, you got to answer the queries. You answer the queries for commissions, you know. And that is just the peripheral thing because the main thing is painting. So, you know, it's very, very essential that you have discipline. Otherwise, you'll completely go bonkers and mad. And um, uh, in one of the interviews, uh, very ages ago, I had seen Peter Brown saying um, that, uh, oh, I paint every day. And I'm like, like, really? Like, how is that even possible? You know, how much can you paint and what do you do? But since the time I became full-time, I realized how important it is because I seem, you know, like, when I used to work full time, I used to be out of house at half seven and come back at eight o'clock. You know, you are working the whole hours without complaining that I have to work, right? Because you've got your salary at the end of the day. You had some perks that you, you would kind of get uh, and used to look forward to the weekends. And I think as an artist, it's so important that you have this discipline that, you know, okay, you start your day at say, I start my day early at six o'clock. But by the time I actually get into the painting mode or gear and everything, it's 10 o'clock because, you know, I have domestic duties to do. So from 10 to like three or four is my time, which is completely undisturbed time because that's all, you know, I do. I paint either in my studio or 
you know, I'm meeting someone or, you know, working out things like this, or, you know, actually painting outside. But this all accumulates to working, you know, because this is your business, this is your thing. And if you don't give an input, there is no output, I believe. So you need to feed to um, have. So that kind of a discipline is very important. Yes. And it is the, I think as well, what's important is being able to um, switch one's mind from not instant gratification, but expecting results straight away. Oh, yes. Playing much more of a long game that it's, it's, I think, one of the only jobs, I'm sure there's many others, where you can go for one year without getting paid anything for what you're doing. But it's putting that groundwork in and, and creating that framework through both your painting, your work, your contacts, your um, social media and all of that kind of stuff. And it will, if you put that work in and get that discipline, it does pay off. But Absolutely. patience. Patience. Patience is the key. And you know what? Like Because of um, these days, more and more people want to be part of these societies, uh, you know, the Royal Societies of uh, uh, Oil Colours or Watercolours or, you know, NEAC and th things like that. And because of the groups now, people are more aware of those things. So uh, where the societies would earlier get 2,000 entries, now they get 6,000. So I think it's becoming more and more bottlenecked and more and more challenging and competition is high to get into these uh, annual shows at the mall galleries. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit because of the social media, you find out like, oh, she or he got it and I didn't get it. So I think that pressure has built up so much that mm -hmm. that gratification, uh, which people can actually put people, you know, from applying or from producing good work is so much like at, at the risk of the mental health that I realized that in my group, I have got so many texts from people messaging me and saying like, uh, I think I'm just going to give up. It's so difficult because, uh, you know, I, this is my fourth year. I'm trying uh, into, you know, uh, this NEAC or ROI and I haven't got uh, things. I'm just fed up and all that. So, and, you know, I have been through the process, you know, we all go through these processes. And I think there comes a point when you've got to really, really think what actually defines you. Is it entry to those places actually defines you or is it your work? You know, go out, paint something, paint the bluebells, come home. That's the gratification you want, you know. I mean, of course, a recognition goes a long way. You feel good about it. Opportunities pop up. But I think you need to accept that it's not possible to win every battle to win exactly. everything you know you need to pick your pick your battles and mm -hmm. i think that's where uh, this realization is very important i mean i mean i'm just saying this loud you may probably understand this but whoever is going to watch this podcast that you know all these things are a very very fraction of what you're doing in the lifetime because um, all these competitions are a good boost but that doesn't mean that you got to win them every time, you know, no. you need to just keep on doing your thing. And trust me, opportunities just come your way yes. one after other. Yeah. Uh, there you are, know. There are I mean, myriads opportunities out yeah. there that don't necessarily have to fit into those more traditional routes. Yeah. With yeah. 
I mean, I've never been I've never been involved in in them or exhibited, but there are plenty of different opportunities. I think they the key are. is that is that um, that if you want to get up each morning, I, and I get excited about painting, I wake up and think, oh, I've got a full day in the studio. I can't wait. Yeah. That's the thing to live for because what happens is your work gets better. You become more knowledgeable about what you're doing, how to put yourself out there. But people pick up on that passion, and that's yeah. where the key is. So if you if you're able to sort of just paint as much as you can, and you'll get better at it, and Absolutely. the more passionate, and people will buy in into that. Um, yes. Absolutely. There you go. No, absolutely. I totally, totally agree to that. Yeah, it's so important. Well, you've been incredibly generous with your time. Where should people go to go and see your work and support you? Where would you like them to? Uh, any social media, any exhibitions coming up or anything you'd like to send people to? Right. I have quite a few exhibitions lined up this year. Um, well, social media, you, you can find me on Instagram. I'm more on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, on Instagram, my uh, ID is Tushar Sable at, well, just Tushar Sable on Instagram. And on Facebook, it is Tushar Sable Art. Um, but I have a website, which is by my name. It's uh, tusharsable.com. Um, I'm not on Twitter, but not much. Um, but I think this is just good enough. <laughs> There's so much social media out there. Um but uh, yes, yeah, so I have a few exhibitions. I have uh, one exhibition, two exhibitions coming in Chelsea um, uh, with the gallery. Uh, I have one in uh, Patni with the Russell Gallery. I have a few of my paintings in Holt um, in the gallery. Uh, in Stamford and Adrian Hill Gallery, they represented me. Um, then I have uh, another gallery in um, Chelsea that has uh, just signed me up. Um, and uh, then the uh, major exhibition would be in uh, end of October, beginning of November, which is the uh, Brit Plenair uh, Painters, uh, British Plenair Painters exhibition, where uh, 30 of us uh, artists will be showing our works in the newly built uh, Royal Water Colour Society uh, Gallery in uh, Pall Mall. Um, so that's that's a big event that is happening and uh, many many little little opportunities are popping up so yeah i'm glad um oh, and then, i mean that's know, a, that's, a, that's brilliant all of no, no thank you it's like i said you know what do artists do the whole day you know that's so much to do isn't it for all of us you know who paint it's um it's really uh, uh good to be busy uh, of course, then I have the Mall Galleries exhibition, uh, the, the New English Art Club uh, that is happening in June. Uh, then the, sorry, then the Whopping exhibition <laughs> <it's> in Mad. <laughs> I, 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 the last three days, I did nothing but just framing and framing and framing. I was like completely going mad. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot, a lot um, that will be happening. So, are the, are the, uh, the dates for those exhibitions on your website? Is that where people... Yes, they are on my website, yeah. So uh, links will be in the description of this video. So everyone should check that out and support you for all your exhibitions and your work and your social media. But thank you so much for, uh, for being on the podcast. It's been a real treat. Thank, thank you so much, uh, Simon and Richard. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I know this kind of knowledge exchanging is priceless. 
um, yeah. just to even get the insight on uh, you know each other's uh, process and um, what's what's really uh, is amazing is like how synced we artists are at some level you know yes. of course we have different styles of working and mm. um, you know showcasing things but at some level you know there's a kind of a understanding and um, you know uh, which which I think uh, has come across quite well in this absolutely um, and when when we envisioned this podcast it was you know thinking about artists i mean i spend a lot of time in my studio on my own i listen to all kinds of podcasts but having this on in the background for, for someone yeah. that's either new to it or practice artists i think it's just such such priceless uh, information. i mean i have listened to so many of these kind of interviews of the artist and it gives mm -hmm. a good insight sometimes you start hating the artist because like is that his view <laughs> why did i listen to him <laughs> but uh, sometimes it's like so you know eye opener into yeah. so many things and uh, i do hope our conversation is on on that side of the thanks thanks for having me both of you it's been a it's been a thank wonderful you. time thank, thank you. you thank you very thank much you.